If you, if you have a Bible, you can turn to John 3 or it's in the, in the liturgy. We're going to look at John 3 verses 1 through 8. And Jesus is going to take us into some deep mystical waters here with this conversation. And so uh, let's, go, let's go with them. We're um, in a series called The Red Letters of John. And we're just looking at, we're honing in specifically uh, by red letters, the words recorded that Jesus said, and so we're trying to focus there as a centerpiece of life, of Scripture, Jesus himself. Um, we, we don't follow a book, friends. We follow a person, and so we're gathered here. That's what the church is. It's a, a, a gathering of people following this person, and so in this series, we want to really look at what he says, what he teaches, and the way he lives and that's what it means to follow Jesus, is to live that way. Salvation has come. His name is Jesus. And so we move out from salvation, not for salvation. But that salvation, it, it, it's not going to be experienced, even though it's objectively real and true. It won't be experienced unless we follow the way of Christ. So um, here we go. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. We're going to rethink what it means to be born again. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with that person. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. That's literally what the Greek says, or born again. Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. My first prayer, Holy Spirit, is that we just, on the, just on the surface, heard that. Because if if we ever doubted the the nature or the essence of christianity as being a mystical religion we should we should not doubt that anymore just just purely based on what we just heard and so some of us are going to have to um deconstruct some language that maybe some things and and ways in which this language was uh, infused with certain ideas and, and images. I, I, my prayer is that we would just come to this and hear it for what it really is and explore this together, uh, knowing that this, there's a lot of mystery here. Jesus, guide us. 
my, my ultimate prayer is no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, and no matter why we're here even, I, I pray that we would experience healing and new life. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to slow down. I mean, so we've been in John, obviously, and this is the first time that, like, Jesus, there's a, a pretty extended conversation so that there's a lot of red letters in chapter 3. So we're going to slow down and, and I mean, there's so much here in just what, what was read. But um, uh, we're going to look at this chapter in three parts, each with the title, Seeing the Kingdom of God. This is part one. And then next week, we'll continue this conversation. Also, we'll, we'll, t- we'll title it Seeing the Kingdom of God, part two, and then part three. Um, and um, Katie, you're going to do part three, right? Where are you? Was that, is that Okay. Did you, yeah? Okay. It's fine if, it's fine if not, but um, Katie will finish that up. And man, you, you got that, the section is the home run. It's the, <laughs> so Katie will, we'll do part three. But um, at last Sunday, if you were here, we, in chapter two, we saw John's account of Jesus showing up and, and cleansing the temple. And I, and I, and I mentioned that uh, although that's mentioned in all four Gospels, John's Gospel is the only one where that's at the beginning, uh, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in particular. Uh, and you may remember me talking about that. In, in the other three Gospels, it's, it's placed around Palm Sunday and um, probably on Palm Sunday. It's at the end of G- Jesus' ministry, so to speak, which was a brief ministry, and right before Holy Week. But in John's Gospel, it, it's at the beginning and then we're going to trace a lot more narrative about Jesus' ministry than we find in the other Gospels. And, and I was making the point that we're meant to, to view, first of all, John and the Bible itself, not chronologically. Time is actually relative in, in the story of Scripture, um, relative to the message, this deeper, I would argue, more mystical meaning in this book that we call the Bible and so the author is strategically and intentionally placing things, not, not according to chronology always, but according to the meaning or the message the author is trying to give us. And I was trying to say, I think what John is doing by placing the cleansing of the temple first is we're learning this idea, this rhythm of life called disorder and deconstruction. <laughs> Death. Some things got to die before we can truly be born again. Some things got to be deconstructed. There has to be disorder and disruption, but we don't stay there. And I mentioned last Sunday how there's a lot of uh, um, Christians, I think, right now that understandably are just in this sort of, as, as a friend put it this week, on the hamster wheel of just deconstruction and rightly um, Recognizing, let's say, the, uh, the bones <laughs> in the fish of the religion of Christianity, and they're spitting those out. And they're just kind of in this, that's the, that's the treadmill, the, the, rap, the, the wheel, the, ham, the hamster wheel of just critiquing everything now. It's fine, understandable. We, we need to do that. We're not meant to stay on the wheel, though. We're meant to get into the space where we begin to reorder and settle 
and it's really in that space you become uh, more likable too, <laughs> and people want to be around you more because you're before that you're just kind of an eeyore, and you're just like everything's horrible and this and this and this and this, and and then hopefully you begin to realize wait a second. Um, there's a reason that uh, people kind of go the other direction when I walk into a room. Um, it's good. You notice that? It may be because all we're doing is pointing out the furniture that needs to be not just kind of rearranged, but thrown out. You throw out that furniture, but you're, you're meant to fill it in with some new furniture that's luxurious and and things like peace and joy are supposed to actually start happening. Transformation, new life, healing is supposed to start happening. That doesn't happen in disorder, although you need the disorder to get to this space. It's more expansive. It's, it's, more, it's more freeing, also more mysterious. And so I think John brings Jesus, the account of Jesus creating disruption and disorder in religion at the beginning so that we might see Jesus begin to bring in the new furniture as he progresses. We get right here in the next chapter to reorder. That's what Jesus is talking about. Chapter two, disorder. Chapter three, reorder. This is mystical language though. It's mysterious. Nicodemus understandably doesn't He's not tracking with what Jesus is saying. If we heard it at all, we're probably right there with him. What? Say what? (laughs) Water and spirit born again? Well, here's the main teaching I want to sort of draw out today uh, in part one. We must be reordered in and through Jesus in order to see what is real. This is where we don't stay in disorder. We must be now. Here's the language of born again. It's the language of reorder. We must be reordered in and through Jesus in order to actually notice what is real. But buckle up because it's not what you thought. It's not what you expected. Just like Nicodemus here didn't expect the Messiah to be like this. Okay, so get ready. But you have to go through Jesus, and you must be reordered in and through Jesus to see what is really real. In order to be um, in reorder, which I'm, I'm using synonymously with this born again language, here's, this is an important thing to note. You're not starting over. You're actually, for the first time, realizing who you always were. You're realizing who you always were, not starting over. You're starting to see yourself as you truly are. A lot of the Christian mystics put it this way. You're beginning to see the face that existed, that is your face, as it were, before you were born. What is really real about you I'm loving this quote from Paula Darcy that was in uh, Richard Rohr's Falling Upward. I think that's where I saw it. This is a good quote to meditate on. It's been in the, the liturgy before. Here's what you begin to understand in the reorder phase. 
God shows up disguised as your life. <laughs> Just as it is. All the parts, good and bad. You. God shows up to Nicodemus here disguised as his life. Not someone else's life. This is key. It's so easy to want someone else's life. I love, one of my favorite quotes is by Woody Allen who said, my greatest regret, regret in life is that I'm not someone else. He got more laughs than, than, than that. But um, I love that. I think it's hilarious. Uh, now, see, that, it's easy to kind of play that game and want someone else's life. But the, the downside is you, you, you miss out on God. <laughs> God shows up disguised as your life, my life. All right, I want to I look at, there are four sayings here of Jesus, and we're going to look at each one in turn um, briefly, but uh, you can just, you want to follow along here in the text. First saying, let's look at this. There's, this first saying is in verse 3. Um, and here's I, I just my, my interpretation of what Jesus means there. First of all, Jesus is born from above. This is metaphorical language. Jesus is otherworldly. Jesus is, you learn this, this is a lot in, in the, the story of Scripture too. Ecclesiastes is heavy on this view of life from, a, up from above versus the view of life from below. Um, we need someone to save us who needs to come not from our normal everyday experience. We need someone to come from above. To come in and save us who are below. Again, metaphorical language. Don't, don't, it's not physics here, okay? So Jesus first comes from above as the Savior of the world. And now enables us who are below to be born in and through him. That's what verse 3 means. Let's, I think, let's, let's read it together. Jesus answered him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Okay, he does, notice he doesn't say at first that no one can enter the kingdom. He says, you just don't see it unless you go through the one who came from above. There it is. The kingdom's here. I mean, in the New Testament, the the John the Baptist was the first to say, it is here, it is at hand, it's always at hand. The kingdom is here, objectively, it's real. Do you see it? Do you see it? Well, Jesus is saying, you won't see it, even though you're in it. You won't see it unless you're born from above, that is, in and through the one who came from above. I think this is, we're kind of, we're wading into these deep mystical waters, but, but hopefully, by God's grace, we're understanding a little bit of what's going on here. Um, I, in other words, I don't, like a lot of uh, Christians throughout time, at least in America, have interpreted this conversation like as an like a, a evangelistic conversation. That's wrong. If we think of a, of a conversation like that where you have someone who's saved talking to someone who's not saved. Nick, in fact, he's probably one of the most prestigious scholars of the time within the religion of, uh, of, of Judaism, within uh, the people of God. 
So this, this isn't, he's not being converted here like to a God worshiper. He already was one, okay? Y'all, y'all get me? So that's not the conversation here. What Jesus is trying to show Nicodemus, who is willing, he comes to meet with Jesus. He's trying to now show him the kingdom that really is, the one that he already belongs to. He's trying to take him, as it were, kind of through the veil to see the other side. Okay, that's, that's what this conversation is all about. So that's, if, you're, if you are a believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus, Nicodemus is your guy, actually. He's you. But more than that, this is just a conversation between Jesus and a human being. So if you're a human being, <laughs> which I think you all are, um, then this is for you. This is a conversation for you as a human being, period. Let's, let's not, let's right out of the gate, let's not harbor this dualism or this binary, this us and them kind of approach. We'll miss out on the message if we do that. So Nicodemus represents really any human being whatsoever, but he happened to be one who believed already, but he didn't see the kingdom of God yet. Jesus is trying to take him there to see. Um, just like us, though, if, if that is, if, if, if we, particularly if we're steeped in Christianity, if we've been uh, in these waters for a while, if, if we've been um, in going to church and things like that, and it's hard for us to hear, but you got to actually undo a lot. You got to rethink ev- everything, actually. <laughs> it's hard for us to hear that. It, it, that is, if, if you are like, have been around the church a long time or steeped in Christianity, it's, it's just like Nicodemus here. And he, he may be being a little bit sarcastic. Oh, really, Jesus? Like, how, how is someone born? Go, am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb as an old man? Like, it's hard for us to be told, uh, those of us who are steeped in Christianity, um, you got to actually relearn everything. <laughs> you don't have it all figured out, as it turns out. You got you to learn and grow. But we, it's going to hurt our ego. But, man, the Spirit's trying to take us into new life, friends. The Spirit really is. Jesus here is with Nicodemus. The kingdom of God, something else to note about John, it, it only, that language, kingdom of God, only shows up here, which is interesting. Um, only shows up here in verse 3 and in verse 5. That, that phrase, kingdom of God, doesn't show up anywhere else in the gospel of John. If you know the other gospels, you know kingdom of heaven, synonymous in Matthew. That language is everywhere. So what, why only here? Well, what we'll see is John will use more, in a way more mystical but experiential language to describe the same thing. Words like life especially life. He, he will use language about life interchangeably. It's synonymous with kingdom of God language. It's the equivalent. So here's a, here's a key understanding to understand the Bible. This is uh, um, particularly for, again, if, if you, I don't know, you may be familiar with some of these terms and we need to relearn them. A key understanding of John, especially, and the whole Bible is things like Life and kingdom, um, heaven, hell language in the Bible, those are all present realities. Meant to be thought of as in the present, not future, 
like afterlife concepts. If, if you miss that, you will misunderstand this language and many, many conversations in John or in the whole Bible. Kingdom of God is a present reality that you can see and enter into right now. Um, life. And so it's unfortunate when that, this term gets translated eternal life because we tend to only go to the afterlife. That is not what Jesus has in mind. When Jesus is talking about life, uh, the best translation would be life that begins now and is eternal. Okay? This is, this is really important. you got to understand that the focus here with kingdom of God language with eternal life language, heaven and hell language, even it's a focus on the present, not later, okay? Well, so John will just go there. He'll, he'll talk about life, unfortunately translated as eternal life, to mean the present kingdom of God. Okay, and last thing about this first thing, to um, see, like when Jesus says, you must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God, just think, perceive. Okay. Uh, perceive. Just think of that language. Okay. Second saying, look at verse five. This is, it, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of, it's comical to me to even read this because it sounds bizarre. If you really hear it, when Jesus starts talking about, you have to be born of water and spirit. What, what are you talking about? Right. Okay. Let's look at it. Verse five. Um, Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God. And now here it is, really experientially, experience it, without being born of water and spirit. So in order to be reordered or born again, you must go to the one who gives you this water and who gives you this spirit. We'll see just in the next chapter when we get there, Lord willing. Think about this, chapter 4, what happens there? You have the woman at the well, the the Samaritan woman, comes up to Jesus. What is Jesus offering her? Anyone remember? This fountain of life, this water that actually wells up within her. It's already there. Jesus shines a light on it. She begins to see it. You've got to go to Jesus to see, experience this water that he's going to give in chapter 4. Okay? You have to be born of water, this, this life-giving water, the fountain of life kind of water. And you have to be born of spirit. Well, Jesus is also the one who gives us the spirit. This is, I think, what Jesus means here uh, with this cryptic language. Um, this is how you experience real life. Um, something that's fascinating about, and I just, I just learned this recently about the crucifixion. Um, there's a, here's a biblical illustration where this is maybe the most profound illustration of this happening for the world. That is this giving of the spirit and of water. It happens on the cross. So if Later on, John will eventually get there again, Lord willing. John chapter 19, verse 30. Listen to this language, water and spirit language. You'll hear both. When Jesus, therefore, had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Okay, he he meant it. It's done. 
the work of salvation done. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the moment where you see God giving God's spirit to the world, as it were. And then later on, four verses later, it says, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately there came out blood and water. Okay, um, that's not for you scientists and medical doctors. A lot of people have done work, okay, yeah, because we're made up of a lot of water. And, and this, uh, this is not like a scientific statement. It's not, about, it's not a biological statement. This is a mystical nod to John chapter 3. Water. This is the one who gives water to the world by dying on the cross. Gives the, this is the fountain of life through his death. This is what we see. And so it's no coincidence that guess who shows up right there at that very time? It's Nicodemus. Nicodemus shows up right there in that passage. To um, he, he, along with Joseph of Arimathea, buries Jesus. Right there, he shows up again. He shows up two more times after this passage. What are we to assume from that? Well, he began to see the kingdom of God after this conversation. No coincidence, mention of water and spirit, and here's Nicodemus bearing his Savior. Third saying, look at verse 6. Um, let's read this together. And this is, this, this is where it's going to get a little hard, okay? But that is for those who, who can really hear and, and, and go with me. Um, verse 6 says, What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Again, the saying of Jesus, cryptic. Here's what I think he means. And yes, Richard War has probably helped me now more than anyone. Paul uses this word sarx in the Greek for flesh. Here's the way we're meant to think of the flesh, our ego. We're meant to think, think of our ego, okay? You need a healthy ego. But as you hear me say most of you all the time, the ego is not supposed to be behind the wheel, driving the car. It should be in the back seat. And so what Jesus is saying here, I think, in this saying is you can either live by the ego or you can live by the spirit. Live by the flesh. You can try to order your life that way through the ego, which is what all of the worldly thinking will try to tell you. And are the enmity, the flesh within will do the same thing. The devil, yes, we're trying to get us to live according to the ego, to, to order around the ego, or you can be reordered through the spirit. Much better to go through the spirit. But here's, so this is where it gets hard though, is this means humiliation. It always hurts when the ego is, is bruised. I mean, it happened to me this week and I'm still processing, what, why did I feel why, why did that hurt? Humiliation, at least in my experience, it will hurt every single time. <laughs> that sucks. Um, th- every time. But when you feel that little pain, oh, that, that hurt to hear that. Just for a minute, think the spirit might be trying to take me into life. Right there, right there. But you, you got to be reordered through the spirit, through the humiliation and the pain, 
in order to get there. Or you can continue just arming up, denying, living in denial and, you know, and um, all those things. You, You can do that. Flesh begets flesh, spirit begets spirit. It's a better way to live. I think that's what Jesus means in this third saying. And then lastly, look at verses 7 and 8. Not as many illustrations or stories today. I'm just trying to focus on this language here of of Jesus, which hopefully speaks for itself too. But verses 7 and 8, listen to this. Um, Jesus says, Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I think it's important to note that he's saying this is people that, after verse 6, live according to the Spirit are kind of like the wind. Um, blowing here and there. In other words, they're weird <laughs> because this is a kingdom that is weird. It's, it's not even from be- this place. It's from another place. It's from above. It is unlike any other kingdom. And so it's going to feel a little aw- awkward. And, and so that's why every time you come to church, there should be a little feeling of it. This is a little strange. Um, actually, that sh- we don't, we don't want to do away with that. Um, it's, it's good to be drawn out of your comfort zone just, just for a few minutes. This is a kingdom from above. It's going to feel a little strange. It, people that live according to the spirit. Yeah. Um, do things like go live out in the desert and, um, on mountaintops and, and monasteries. And, but here's the good news. You don't have to do that. There are also people that just walk down the street and are talking to themselves. It looks like. Um, right in front of everybody. Um, there, there are people that, that, uh, that stand up here and say weird things. Um, there, there are people that you don't have to be cloistered away to see the kingdom of God. Good news is the spirit is everywhere, just like the wind. But once you begin to live according to the spirit, um, hopefully you get to the point where more and more you're not so concerned about the whispers that take place behind your back. <laughs> it's intentional language. He's saying, Jesus, everyone, everyone that lives according to the Spirit will be like the wind. He's also saying, though, that the Spirit comes to you like the wind, I think. The Spirit comes to you, and it is always a gift. Let me ask you, did, you, did any of you do anything to be born? No, right? It's, it's, and we celebrate your birthday every year, right? We, as we should, even though you did absolutely nothing to, like, but, but like survive, <laughs> right? Being born again is the same way. It's a complete gift. It comes to you uh, or, or, or it doesn't. I mean, you avail yourself to it or you don't. There's never any judgment attached to those that don't live this way or experience the spirit. That's another good thing about the kingdom of God is there's no judgment at any point whatsoever. In verses 7 and 8, though, Jesus is trying to take us through the veil to get us to see what's on the other side because all of life is actually spiritual. And what is spiritual informs and drives what is physical. What is physical is actually spiritual is another way of putting it. 
What is unseen drives everything that we see. Jesus wants to take us house of mercy so that we might see through the veil to see what's really there. This is the way. I love how Eugene Peterson um, translates verse 6 in the message. Uh, This is how he tries to get at it. He says, when you look at a baby, it's just that, a body you can look at and touch. But the person who takes shape within is formed by something you can't see and touch the spirit and becomes a living spirit, something you can't see and touch. That's the spirit. Here's the, here's the curveball, though. It's, it's your essence. It's, it's within. You can't really explain it. <laughs> you can feel it. You experience it. I love how he put that. Well, God's kingdom is not of this world. Um, that's good news. I'm, I'm asking us as we end every, every Sunday to ask this question. Imagine if Jesus were to walk through this door and we were, he were to be up here and we would be like, Jesus, what is the gospel? Okay, what would Jesus say in this passage is the gospel? Gospel just means good news. This is what I think he would say. First of all, here's the gospel. Here it comes. You ready? You have been reordered. It's finished. You have been reordered. Just like your first birth, this was a complete gift. Jesus did all the work. It's done. There it is. There's the gospel. Now, let's ask another question. How do we respond to that? Well, this is where our part comes into play. Will we live into this reality? That part is up to us. Will we live into it? It's done. Will we live into it? Listen to how N.T. Wright um, summarizes. He says, God's kingdom, this is what's so good about it, God's kingdom is, is now thrown open to anyone and everyone. There is no us and them, friends. Anyone and everyone. But this way of knowing and the new knowledge we get through it is given by the mysterious Son of Man. He's going to hearken back to previous the previous two chapters, he, that is Jesus, is now, is now the ladder which joins the two dimensions of God's world, the heavenly and the earthly. Here it is. If we want to understand not only the heavenly world, but the way in which God is now joining heaven and earth together, we must listen to him and walk with him on the road that he is now to take. So we got to get up. We got to start moving. We don't stand still. We're following someone that we don't fully understand who talks weird, but is also love. That's the good news. You see, someone who lives by the spirit understands you can't control anything. Actually, anything that you thought you could control in life was a mere, was a mirage, an illusion. Good news is the one who is in control is love, spirit. So follow, let's follow. Let's follow the mystery together. This is what a church is. We, in following and coming together, we, in a coordinated way, we help one another follow this one who is love. Come and see. Come and see. Let's pray. Jesus, um, Holy Spirit, I pray especially that you would make what is... Um, 
It's just, I don't know. It's just hard to bring heavenly language down to earth. And um, so would you do that, Holy Spirit? And would you help it to settle in our gut, in our heart, and transform us? In Jesus' name, amen.